today I'm so fortunate to have one of my favorite people in the whole wide world, Miss Diana Aronson, and she's a buyer's agent with Bakersfield Premier Realty's Marvin Bush team. You know, we've worked together for over 10 years. Does it seem like it was that long? It does not seem like that long. <laughs> Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah, we've had a lot of fun. I think we've seen some of the good times and the bad times. So you think about it, 10 years ago, 2010 was a real rebuilding year for a lot of people in real estate. Would you agree? Yes. And I can tell you that my experiences have been really driven by the rebuilding of our economy. Yes. Um, when you think about buying property today versus buying in 2010, what's the first thing that comes to your mind, Diana? It's more expensive. <laughs> okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So yes. what have you seen as far as a change as far as real estate value since 2010? They've definitely gone up. Yeah. They've definitely moved up. And uh, it's a good thing because a lot of homeowners who purchased now have the equity back in their homes that they can move back up again. When you drive through the neighborhoods, all the homes or a majority of the homes are being well taken care of. There's pride of ownership. There's not all these dead lawns and rundown homes. So as a homeowner myself, personally, it, it makes me feel good when I go through neighborhoods because you don't wanna see a situation where there's all that loss short sales and foreclosures that's not the it's not a healthy market that's not where we want to be we yeah, want to be in a healthy market lots of carnage that happened yes. and you know on my side and the mortgage side we have kind of had to reinvent ourselves if you will mm -hmm. because mortgage lenders were not expecting the fallout after 2008 to take so long if you will to build guidelines to mm -hmm. put people back into property so right. Um, one of the specialties that I have is helping people reestablish, build them back up where they can purchase property again. A lot of those that lost their homes between 2008 to 2013 uh -huh. uh, are back in the marketplace. Yes. And some of them have successfully rehabilitated and are purchasing property, own property now. And you've actually worked with some of my buyers that have been in that situation. Correct. And uh, one of the things that I think that... Uh, as far as mortgages go, banks have become more direct on how to lend to people that have had major credit issues from you know, foreclosure, a short sale. Um, even if they've gone through bankruptcy after a major situation like that, they were able to get back into the market. Uh -huh. and, and be a homeowner again. Uh, absolutely. And you've been in the business long enough to actually have repeat buyers. Isn't that a cool thing? Yes, it is. Especially when they come back with more babies. Oh, yeah. That's fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I, I wanted to just uh, spend this time talking about more specifically the buyer side of the transaction yes. from a real estate agent's uh, per perception. So what is your specialty? What would you define yourself as, as far as being a specialist in? Well, I am a licensed real estate agent in the state of California and I am also a realtor. Mm -hmm. So I abide by a code of ethics and I specialize in working with buyers, helping them find their home. So that's what I specialize in. So what does that process look like to you? What that process looks like to me is once somebody has gone through the process of getting pre-qualified for a mortgage, because that's the first step, they've sat down with you and uh, gone over the numbers and talked about what their budget affords them, not just what they qualify for, but what they're comfortable with because there's more to owning a home than just the mortgage payment. Then we sit down and talk about what they're looking for in a home. You know, talk, talk about the needs versus the wants, talk about locations, maybe school districts are an issue, um, commute, um, do they have extended family, all of those variety of things so that we can compute everything and do our best to find a home that's going to check off the most amount of boxes, not only meeting their needs, but their wants and their desires as well. And when you go through that process, have you been surprised about I guess what really is the hot button for certain buyers and maybe not so important to other buyers when you're going through that discovery? Going through the discovery, you know, most people, their wants and needs aren't that far off. You know, we all want all of the niceties and all the nice finishes and, and such, but sometimes that doesn't line up with what our budget is. And, you know, 
we're spending all this time focusing on the small details and a lot of the times those aren't the most important things because those are the sometimes the easiest things to change and once you become a homeowner you have the ability to personalize the home anyway it's a long-term investment so tweaking things and making it your own those are simple changes that you can do down the road now when you're meeting with a buyer for the first time and they've not talked to a lender mm -hmm. what are the kind of basic things you're telling them that they need to really start thinking about and and, and I say this because as a team yes you and I work together to help not only the mutual benefit of the borrower but help them to understand that the better that they know their numbers the more efficiently they're going to be able to look for property and find things that really fit within their categories. Would you agree? I agree wholeheartedly. Usually I don't sit down and have a one-on-one -on -one with somebody who hasn't already been pre-qualified for the mortgage because that's putting the cart before the horse. Sure. Because unless you have the cash, the liquid cash funds to write a check for the home, you need the money. Yeah. So, and the money comes from the mortgage lender. Yeah. And without that, it's frankly a waste of time and resources because if you look at a home today, the odds are if you're 30 days or 60 or 90 days available down the road, when you're going to be in a position, that home's not going to be available anymore. So, it was, it becomes where you're not utilizing your energy and your time and your resources in the best manner. And when you're talking to borrowers and they are not willing to commit to that step, if they need financing to meet with a lender, what what is the answer that you try to give them to be not only, I would say, uh, diplomatic, okay. but also um, prompting them to really make decisions? What, what are things that you talk to them about and how do you encourage them? Well, when I encourage somebody to sit down with the lender, it's it's really about saving money because there is a cost to everything that we do. Whether it be the gas in the tank of your car to drive to these different places, the emotional energy that you spend um, thinking about the possibilities, how do I make this happen? In addition, the time what is our most valuable thing and it's time. Absolutely. And if you're spending time frivolously, you're wasting it. Mm -hmm. So that could have been time you were spent doing something fun with your family. Sure. You could have been exercising, working on your hobby. There's a lot of other things you could have been doing more effectively with that time. But the most important thing is you're losing out on the time if there are additional steps that you need to take to make yourself mortgage ready. Yeah. And that's the important part about sitting down with the lender first because you need to be mortgage ready and the lender can direct you to what you need to do because you might think you need to do this when you really need to do that. Absolutely. So let me ask this question. What's the difference between, in your mind, a quality mortgage pre-approval versus just somebody that says I have a pre-approval letter. Okay. Because <laughs> there is a distinction, I believe. There is. There is. It's very important to know that the borrower, or the potential borrower, the buyer, has sat down face-to-face -face and spoken with a qualified mortgage lender who has reviewed all of the necessary documentation. So they've reviewed all of the buyer's income, assets, credit, and taxes. Because it's not just going off some numbers that were inputted into an online application. Sure. Because how you think your numbers are may not be how they actually need to be correctly calculated for purposes of a mortgage. Sure. So without having the lender actually verify everything, then is it a true quality pre-approval letter? I like to say, if I do my job correctly, the process of finding a house is going to be stressful because you're really looking for something that meets your family's needs. But the financing should be a part of the process, not the stress point. 
because you have a lot of things going on in a very short amount of time. You know, 30 days to 45 days is really not that long. It is. And we have several parties involved. I mean, you and I can check this. I mean, it's amazing that we can do all of this together in a time frame that's reasonable. And one of the challenges I find is that if a consumer leaves my office and I issue them a pre-qualification letter and they go and do something that's contrary to what we discussed, it will then change in a chain reaction the outcome on the end of that real estate transaction. So when I send a client back after they've been pre-qualified, I usually will not only tell you here's the breakdown of all of our expenses, Uh but say this is the amount of money we're working with as far as the borrower's cash to close, their ability to obtain a gift if they need one, or the assets coming from this sale of property. We really need to make sure that we're communicating very effectively because if you write a contract that I cannot fulfill, I kind of give this example, you writing that contract like the doctor. I'm like the pharmacist. Correct. I can't change the terms or conditions that are written into that contract. The only thing I can do is call you and say, did you mean to write it this way because this is going to kill the client. They don't have enough money. Yes. So just before getting on this conversation uh, on this podcast, didn't I just show you something on an email that showed that the buyer's agent, not you, wrote a contract that may not sufficiently close because they didn't follow my instructions on what the buyer needed in order to close the transaction. Yes, that can happen. Mm -hmm. And does that scare you a little bit? Because aren't you putting a buyer's deposit at risk when that happens? Well, it doesn't scare me because I don't... This scares me (laughs) because I have my name on there too, so... It doesn't scare me because I don't do that when I write an offer on behalf of a client. When I sit down with a client prior to writing an offer, I've had a very detailed conversation with the buyer's lender, Mm -hmm. okay, to confirm where the buyer's at with what they have. And I've asked the buyer directly, how much money do you have to put towards the real estate transaction? Mm -hmm. Okay, how much liquid funds do you have in your bank account today? Because there are multiple costs involved. And it doesn't do me any good to write up terms in an offer that the borrower cannot deliver on. Absolutely. Okay. So when it comes to the down payment, when it comes to the closing costs, and the additional costs that come with a transaction, that's appraisal, inspections, and such, I go over all of these numbers with the client prior to entering into an offer on the property. Because it's fun to look online and see pictures of homes and go look at homes, but it's not fun when it's 10 o'clock at night and you're trying to sleep and you're thinking, how do I deliver on what I just agreed to? Meaning the, the buyer's laying in bed having a hard time sleeping, thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to come up with an extra couple thousand dollars that I don't know where I'm going to come up with that. And I don't want my clients to be in that position. So I don't put them in that position. Yeah. And one of the beautiful things about our communication between buyer's agent and lender is that I give you direct communication. I usually try to be as conservative as I can because I don't like surprises. You've worked with me long enough. Have you had many surprises as far as the mortgage loan goes? No. That to me I think is the key piece of having a quality relationship with a lender and a buyer's agent. Because if we're doing this for the mutual benefit of the consumer, we have happy clients at the end of this that can then make them you know, make them homeowners. They have an opportunity to take that equity in the future and possibly roll that into another home. Yes. So this may not be their forever home, but it gives them an opportunity to know that people are on their side, their team, to help them make good decisions, educate decisions, but also calculated decisions because they know what their tolerances are. When I work with a client, I typically ask them very specifically, what is a comfortable payment for you? Yes. Which is a big difference from this is what you qualify as a maximum. Yes. Because at the end of the day, they have their own spending habits. They have their own cycles. They do certain things with their money. When I'm looking through bank statements, I'm not just looking at how much money they have in the account. Uh I'm looking at what are some common expenses they're spending their money on. Uh It sounds like I'm prying in some ways, but you know, I need to know 
can this person afford it? Do they have any margin for error? Right. So let's just say the person is renting for $1,000 a month, but this new mortgage is going to cost them $1,450. Do they have at least $500 or more left in that bank account month after month? Because they're going to have to make that margin up. Right. But would you feel safe with only $100 after spending all of this on a new mortgage payment? No. No. And that's where I kind of get scared because I'm scared for the client in a sense. But logistically, it should work. I mean, if you look at the guidelines, it should work. Right. But it's very difficult to make lifestyle changes like that overnight. So I like to counsel our clients to just be conservative. And then if they move up in price point, just be aware, these are the changes that need to happen. And this is what you're going to have to expect. And I know that when I tell you this, we have a way of empowering each other or edifying each other in the sense that you're speaking the same language as I am to make sure that the client is very clear on that. We're not trying to discourage them. We just want them to be successful in home ownership. Yes, and educated. Absolutely. Because there's more to the mortgage payment more to home ownership than just the mortgage payment. Yes, when you're yes, yes, yes. when you're not renting anymore, you have the responsibility of the maintenance and the upkeep on the home. But here's the other thing. When you're working with professionals, we're supposed to hedge off those challenges. Correct. So we're su- they're relying on us to know what the next few steps are. What is it coming around the bend? And that's why we ask these questions. That's why we do these things to make the process as smooth as possible. Are there going to be hiccups in transactions? Absolutely there are, but we get through them. But it's not this, wow, I didn't see that coming. You know, it's very minor things that were beyond our control. Yeah, and typically it has to do with the property. Yes. We use the the fourth C, the collateral, I like to say that. So if I've done my job correctly, the credit, the capacity, and the, um, what would be the third one? Character are all handled. The collateral will be the last piece. And if we have a problem with the property, that's something outside of our control. Right. You know, so you typically recommend uh, a home inspection, right? Yes, and when we're looking at a home, Um, I'm walking through it with my realtor eyes, my agent eyes that, you know, I've been through hundreds, if not thousands of homes and I'm looking for the red flags and I'm pointing these things out. If I see things that I don't believe would pass financing, um, or could be a, a minor repair that would need to be addressed, I expose that. Sure. Well, that's very helpful because your industry experience, your number of visits to properties, you can tell right off the the get-go whether or not this is going to pass inspection. And you can also give them ideas as to whether or not these are things that are just cosmetic. Correct. Right? So, yes. And that kind of feedback is very important because I can tell you I am not a home improvement guy. <laughs> so because of that, uh, I have to look at it as, is this property necessarily ready, you know, move-in ready? Mm-hmm. Or is it not? But what is the definition of move-in ready? Yeah, it's different for everybody. (laughs) Yeah. 100% agree. (laughs) My point in bringing this up is that we have a large range of buyers. We have those uber experienced people that they've bought and sold 15 properties over the last 35 years, Uh right? Um, Or they've moved up and have bought and property, Uh you know, through the process. Uh And then others that are just so green, nobody in their family has ever been a first time home buyer. So they're really, really relying upon you. Correct. And that's a big responsibility we have. And everyone's scope and or tolerance. Although they may have the ability to make repairs or improvements, they may not want to. Sure. Everybody's at a different stage in their life. Maybe their previous home, they did all that and they don't want to do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is definitely varying um, ranges of, of what people believe as move-in ready or not. Now, one of the things that we've discussed before is as a bare minimum, whether you're a first-time home buyer using a program that assists with down payment or anything else, what kind of money do you think the borrower needs to have at least to get started? Well, the first thing that the buyer needs to have would be the earnest money deposit. And what is that? Okay, the earnest money deposit is the deposit that is put into escrow upon acceptance of an offer. Mm -hmm. It's a good faith deposit, it consummates the escrow. It's held as a credit to the buyer side of escrow, which is then applied to their down payment and or closing costs at closing. 
but it is also what they stand to lose in the event that they default on the purchase. Um, when a buyer writes an offer on a property, they have protections of contingency period timeframes. Because when you just view the home, there's still additional information and inspections and things that you need to know about the property and you can't get all that information upon just viewing the home. And because some of the inspections cost money, you don't wanna spend that money until you have a deal yeah. with the seller. So once escrow opens, you do have a time frame, a time period in which to complete inspections and investigations and where that deposit is protected. And I hold your hand through that process and assist you in all of those things and in ordering inspections and attending the inspections with the borrower and um, giving advice and giving recommendations and suggestions based on um, their particular situation and the particular home. Now, the earnest money deposit, generally speaking, is it a percentage of the sales price or is it an arbitrary number? Is there a maximum? Do you know that answer? It's generally about 1% of the sales price. So on a $200,000 house, it's usually about $2,000. Okay. Now it's kind of important to make this distinction because whether or not you're using a down payment assistance program where you eventually could be net zero out of pocket, $500, you still need to have that money ready to go Correct. when you make your offer. Correct. In addition to that deposit, you do have to have some money for inspections. Exactly. It is not customary in our market that a seller pays for buyer inspections. So most borrowers or buyers would start with a home inspection, a general home inspection, and that range is based on the square footage of the home. Mm. Usually that's going to be in the low 200, or I'm sorry, the mid to high 200 range in, in terms of cost. So let's just round up to about $300. And then there's some additional inspections. Um, most people want to get a wood destroying pest inspection that deals with fungus, dry rot, termites. And then sometimes you might need a specific inspection on the uh, heating and air conditioning unit or maybe a roof inspection and such. So I would say on a first time home buyer on a modest home, having about $500 for inspections is going to more than cover that. Now that's outside of the required appraisal too. Correct. And the deposit. And the deposit. So I'd like to say first time home buyers purchasing 200,000 or less, they should probably have about 2000 to $2,500 ready and available. Yes. At the close of escrow, if they have enough credits through the down payment assistance, seller credits if available, they may get their $2,000 back, which the I've deposit, seen happen. Yes. yes. Not the inspection. Correct. The inspection fees get applied. So that's, I think, a very good point to make because I think that there's been enough information out there that has not been accurately displayed to the public that you can walk in with zero out of pocket. You know, you may net out of the transaction a lot less or closer to zero, but you're still going to have um, an earnest money deposit and inspection costs. Yes. One of the things that um, is a distinction in my mind is that the purpose of the earnest money deposit is to provide the seller with some type of insurance, if you will, to state, hey, I'm pulling this off the market. Yes, it's skin in the game. Yeah, and you are serious about taking the next step to finish this transaction. Within the scope of the inspection period, Yes. the whole premise is to find out whether or not this is truly the house you want to go at. So it's the gamble in some senses because you're spending money in advance, but you can also uncover things that potentially could be a lot more expensive over time. And if the seller's not willing to you know, budge and paying those things or fixing those items, it could definitely affect you know, the decision whether or not you want to continue to move forward. It, but in my 10 years of experience, yeah. there's not a whole lot of situations where a buyer has written an offer done an inspection and then pulled out of the purchase. It's rare. but It's, it's pretty rare because when I walk through the property with somebody, if I see a lot of red flags, I'm like, you know, based on the original conversation we had when we sat down and I discussed these things with you and I investigated your scope and your abilities and your tolerance 
and your reserves in terms of how much money do you have to tune up the house once you close escrow? Because everybody holds back a little bit of money. They don't always tell you about the little extra money they have when they're thinking about paint and carpet and all that good stuff. So as I'm walking through this home and I'm mentoring this buyer, you know, sometimes I look at them and I say, this house might be biting off a little bit more than you want to chew on right now. Sure. So I try to avoid that because I don't want them to spend money on an inspection to just see all kinds of red flags and then pull out because yeah. it just leaves a little bit of a bad taste. It's discouraging. It's discouraging. I mean, that's it's a major purchase you're making. It's a big investment of not only financial resources, but I think emotional resources. Yes. But I can tell you this, those that close escrow and actually get the keys are some of the most excited people. But I don't get a chance to do that. I jokingly tell you this. I don't get to see the eye candy. I don't go to the houses. I see appraisals. I see you do. loan applications, assets, tax returns, pay stubs. Blah, it goes on and on and on. But I do get to make the call and say, hey, congratulations. Your loan is funded. Yes. And uh, now follow up with Diana because she's going to give you your keys once we have recording confirmation. <laughs> right? And then so I get to go are, meet them at the house. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, I want you to take more pictures. I, told I know, but before. don't I get but to you have... should. You get this, you know, I want to share in the enjoyment too. Don't okay? I get to have some fun Yes, you well? do. You do. But I think it's uh, it's one of those little feathers in the cap. It is. You know, um, the listeners of this podcast cannot see my office, right? It's not a huge place, but... I don't have my degrees and my certifications and all this other stuff, which I have to do what I do, but what do you see? I see a lot of thank you cards. I see a beautiful picture of you and your wife. It's, it's appreciation. Yes. I mean, what we do is important. Yes. You know, the day that I forget that we're helping families, the day that I forget that this is a big decision financially, the day that I forget that this is a milestone for them and it means something is the day that I think I need to get out of the business. Right. Right. So, I mean, we do this for the purpose and our motto as a company, Agape Mortgage, is serving others and mm-hmm. it's really just doing things with the right heart, but more importantly, doing things that are number one, ethical, number yes. two, following the rules and guidelines and helping not only the borrowers, but also the bank. The bank wants good quality buyers that their loans will be successful and that they will not have any financial hardships. Now we can't guarantee that's ever going to happen. Right. You know, <clears throat> life gets in the way sometimes. Um, but that kind of go ahead. We are a part <clears throat> of the local community. We I live here, you yes, live here. Yes. You have children. Yep. I have a son. Yep. They go to, you know, some of our clients, they go to the same school that my child goes to. We shop at the same stores. I mean, come on. How many times do we run into our clients at Costco? My wife thinks I know everybody. My kids think I know everybody. I'm like, I really don't know everybody. So we we have a genuine vested interest, and we don't want to see people fail. We want to see people succeed, and that's our goal. And when you do what you enjoy, then it makes work much more fun. Everybody wants to enjoy their job and their work, and I thoroughly enjoy helping people find their home sometimes it's an investment property sure. I enjoy helping investors you know add to their portfolio mm-hmm. people moving up people moving down uh, downsizing you know any of those things it, it is joyful for me to help people find their home and represent them in the best capacity that I can as well and put them in the best position possible as well but you'll see the fruits of your labor, I think. Yes. You get a chance to see referrals come from past clients. That's the that, best, yeah, best it's, kind is absolutely. referrals. I, I think that that's one of the testaments to good work done. Yes. Then, you know, people, they see that you care. They, yes. they know that you care. Um, and one of the things that I appreciate most about you, Diane, and I'm going to brag on you a little bit, is that you write an excellent contract. Thank you. And what I mean by that is, is that when you look at contracts, that is the only thing that will hold, hold up in court. Correct. Everything so, in real estate is in writing. There's nothing verbal. Absolutely. And when that happens, and I see that there's holes that can be poked in a contract, because believe it or not, I do read them. Yes. I read the preliminary title report. I look at the exchanges. I see histories. I get the statement of information data back. I am looking for potential problems. Yes. And if there is something that pops up, I want to bring that to your attention early. 
-huh. and address it as quickly as we can because uh -huh. I don't want to be a hindrance on our transaction, no. right? So that's some of the things that I look for, but I really appreciate that when you write a contract, it's clear, you identify the financing type, you identify the amount down, the close date, all of the inspections that the buyer will have or will not have. Sometimes things don't necessarily need to be on the contract, Correct. but the buyer can still obtain them. But more important than that, um, we're clear in communication, and when we sit down with the client after the contract, and I go through terms, they're constantly agreeing because they know exactly what's on their offer. Yes. And if there's a counter offer, you were very clear with them. They didn't accept the terms of our original offer, but our counter offer, we countered this, they countered back, here are the final terms, are you okay with that? Yes, then we'll sign this and we'll get escrow open. That to me makes my life so much easier. Yes, it's very important that your agent that you work with um, as a buyer is very clear on the contract. Sure. It's part of our job to know this. And I take the time to explain the contract to my client because they are signing it and agreeing to it. And it's important that they are able to perform on what they're committing to. So I make sure and understand clearly what the lender, yourself, has told me that they are able to perform on. And I also am clear on the instructions from the buyer on what they want and what they can do. Because the last thing I want to do is put somebody in a position that they can't perform on. That's very uncomfortable. Yes. And it doesn't make for a fun situation. No. I don't make those kinds of phone calls to people because we don't put them in those situations. Yeah. I want my clients when they're in escrow to have restful, peaceful nights, not stressful nights. I agree 100%. And again, kudos to you for just really knowing your contracts well. Thank and you. if I call you, since you personally deal with the stuff and don't pass it off to somebody, you can pretty much recollect exactly what you wrote on that contract and what terms we need to fulfill. And if there's something that you don't have, you say, Alan, let me check yes. and get back to you because I want to be double sure. That's, yes. that's awesome. And I appreciate that. Thank you. One of the things I wanted to ask you um, specifically is the dynamics of a seller's market versus a buyer's market. Can you define the difference between the two for me? Well, in a uh, buyer's market, there would be more homes than buyers to buy them. Mm -hmm. So you would have a surplus of inventory. Yes. In a seller's market, there would be more buyers than homes to buy. So you would have a shortage of homes. So the difference is going to be whether or not a buyer has to compete against more buyers or if the buyer is a little bit more in the driver's seat, you could call it, and in a position to ask for more concessions from the seller. So what is a concession? A concession can be a variety of things. A concession can be a credit from the seller to the buyer to offset the buyer's closing costs and prepaids and reserves. That credit can only be offered through escrow. It cannot be paid outside of escrow. Um, and depending on the loan that the buyer is getting can determine on what kind of concessions they can get. Um, another concession can be um, maybe some appliances in the home. It could be a refrigerator, a washer, a dryer. It's customary that the built-in appliances remain. It could be this a seller pays for a home warranty on the behalf of the buyer. It could be um, some repairs on the property. Um, those are the things that are coming to mind right now in terms of concession. If you're able to negotiate a reduction in price as well, but that's black and white as well. Sure. So what would you say that we're in now? Would you say we're in a seller's market or a buyer's market? Well, depending on the price point, um, we'll dictate that. But I would say currently we're definitely more in a bit of a seller's market than a buyer's market. Um, anything under 200 is a strong seller's market. Anything under 250 as well is a strong seller's market. Um, until you start getting over about 
the 375 to the 450 and above range, it's pretty much a, a seller's market. And would you agree that those definitions of buyers and sellers markets are also very specific to the local market that people are buying and selling in? Absolutely. And it also depends on the condition of the property. Absolutely. And, I, and I'm saying that because our listeners might be from all over the United States. And when we say a $200,000 house and you live in Orange County, they're thinking, what are you buying? A porta potty? <laughs> no, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. Agreed. But my point is, is that there is a variation based off of market. Right? Yes. And um, I think the stats said that at this time, our local... Um, county is the second most affordable in the state of california yes right so that's it's tremendous and there's a lot of people moving to our area for that reason and um, that that's that's awesome i want to go back to the concessions and i want to bring out to our listeners um, some basic concession limits would you would you be okay with that yes so when we look at conventional financing, if the borrower is putting less than 10% down, they can receive a maximum of 3% of the selling price as credits towards the buyer's closing costs and or prepaids. It cannot be applied to any of the down payment. Mm -hmm. But if they put greater than 10%, it actually scales up to 6 and then 9%. Wow. Yeah. We've never had to do that, but just think that it is actually a conventional guideline. They're called IPCs or interested party contributions. Okay. And believe it or not, it doesn't just have to be the seller. It can be a combination of the real estate agents and the seller. Okay. So if there's a pinch where there's something that needs to change, sellers and the agents could potentially contribute as a part of the IPCs. For VA transactions, the maximum is 4%, no matter the sales price, no matter what mm -hmm. the down payment is. Even though it's 100% financing, veterans can put a down payment. Okay. Um, and then for FHA, it caps at 6% of the sales price. So when you are able to obtain seller contributions or concessions, I typically will take this number, crunch my numbers again, and then give you back another estimate, and then meet with the buyer, because I really want to be clear that this is what your intention was, because we don't want to leave money on the table either. No, you, you don't want to leave money on the table. And before, typically in my situation, before writing an offer on behalf, I contact you. Of course you do. <laughs> I get text messages and calls. Say, Alan, <laughs> uh, how much really do we need? So Because you have to remember, a concession from the seller is a true cost to the seller. So if, for sake of round numbers, if a, if a property is at $100,000 and you're asking for a 3% concession from the seller, that's $3,000. So in essence, you're asking the seller to cut a check back for $3,000. So your net offer on that house is really $97,000. Exactly. It's not a little bit of money. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it, it's not to be taken lightly. So in a situation where you might ask for 3%, but you only needed 2.5%, you don't want to leave that half a percent on the table. So you could have maybe asked for, or offered a little bit less on the price or received a home warranty benefit or any of those things. And it's very specific because you can't just start adding stuff later. Yes. You have to make all of those uh, details up front. So that's why I make sure and get all those numbers. Yeah. One of the things that you probably know or don't know is I make adjustments to what I think seller contributions to buyer's closing costs should be based off the time of the year. Did you know that? I know that, yes, because okay. you told me that. And the reason why is because when we are collecting impounds for taxes and insurance, there are different times of the year where we collect more or less. Yes. So it depends on the first payment date of the borrower's first payment on the loan. Uh -huh. So just as an example, if somebody doesn't have their first payment date in April, then they're only going to need to collect two months of property taxes. Uh -huh. But they're going to assume that the first installment of the tax bill that was due already was paid. Mm -hmm. If they're going to purchase a property and their first payment date is say in September, they're going to have to have seven months worth of property taxes mm -hmm. impounded. So that can really play in your favor if you don't have an offer that you've detailed that down a little bit. Mm -hmm. And another buyer didn't know that, and they were just blanket asking everybody for a certain percentage. Correct. It's a negotiating skill. It is. Right? It is. 
But it's also important to know as well, Bakersfield has so many different elementary school districts, oh, middle school districts. Oh, and I know where you're going with this. <laughs> some, of the, some of the taxes are more based on a particular school district. Yes. And so in the estimate that you provide to the borrower, I mean, you, you don't know all of those different schools because you don't know which, which one they're going to look at. So a lot of times I point that out to the client ahead of time because some of the districts can increase it as much as 50 to $60 a month in the payment alone and uh, the upfront prepaid and reserves. So I'm sure to make sure and pull that tax bill, take a look at that, inform them, and make sure we're getting enough to cover that. So in addition to the tax rate on the property, you're talking they have additional assessments based off of bonds, school, correct, trash, recycle, all these other things that are not a part of the base tax rate. Right? Yes. So one thing that I, I really appreciate that you do too is you take the time to educate your buyer that you may have a supplemental tax bill. Yes, absolutely. So this is usually a shock for a lot of borrowers who get into transaction, they close, and then four months later they get this bill and they're looking at you going, didn't we pay taxes and insurance in our purchase? And then you have to remind them, do you remember when we talked about the supplemental tax bill? And we explained to you it's based off the transfer value and the difference between the previous homeowners. Uh, value that it was assessed at and your new assessed Correct. value and this is a one-time bill but it's something that you are responsible for because your lender did not have that bill and they collected based off of an estimate of what the future bills might be Correct, like. correct. But the Kern County Assessor's website um, actually has this fun little tool and it's called... You it call it fun, we call it pain, but okay, go ahead. <laughs> Supplemental Tax Bill Estimator and yes. I take the time to go on that and plug the numbers in there and print the document out for my client. That's awesome. And I have them sign it and then I remind them, oh my gosh, three, four months down the road or whenever you get it from the assessor's office, you're not going to remember this conversation because <laughs> there's so much that's happened and you're just going to need to call me or text me yes. and I'm going to walk you through it again because you might have enough reserves to offset it. If it's a small bill, just write the check for it because you're paying for it either way. Yes. But yes, those are some of the little details that make all the difference to take that extra time because I don't want people to have unexpected bills because nobody likes those. Definitely. And I, I don't like surprises either. Right. And we've walked down this path together where a client maybe just forgot, yes. but more importantly, just needs now a little bit more um, counsel and yeah. to help them to get through this because it may be an unexpected thing. So that's, I think, brutally important because when you get into a property, you may have expenses that you're trying your best to kind of balance your life because your change of um, budget may have happened and now you're trying to address those things. For the most part, most buyers, when they get into a house, will have at least 30, sometimes 60 days, as long as 60 days before their first payment. Yes. And um, it's just important to be prepared. Yes. And um, I always advise clients, um, there are do things and there are don't things. And one of the do things are, tell me about anything that has changed in your financial situation or your credit. Don't quit your job, don't apply for credit, don't radically change the balances on accounts that you have, um, don't switch jobs. I mean, goodness, that's kind of an important thing, right? Um, but more, more importantly, just communicate with us. Communication is key. We're not mind readers. Yes, and it's very difficult because we have not only multiple transactions, not to say that each individual is not important, it's just that I may have forgotten a conversation that we had or you just failed to tell me because you talked to someone else but you didn't tell me and it affects your loan. Yes. So one thing that I've noticed is you're, you're phenomenal at this is that's gaining trust with your buyers and they have a loan question and they ask you. Yes, they do. <laughs> and they'll talk kind of, I wouldn't say it's behind my back, but they'll, they'll talk to you like, Diana, you know, thinking about this and, you know, what about this? and you know, you in confidence have to say, well, really, you should be talking to Alan, you know, about this because that's about your loan. It is. It is. But what ends up happening is we spend a lot of time together, meaning the buyers and myself, because Absolutely. we're out at properties and they see me taking the time to explain almost anything and everything to them. 
so they feel like they can ask me any question and they can ask me any question I may not have the answer I will tell them let me get back to you or let's find the person who can give you the right answer but yes a lot of times they ask me those questions but I'm also knowledgeable in some of those things because I'm a homeowner myself so I get you know those statements in the mail and I can walk them through some of those things and explain to them what their impounds are because you've explained it to them, I can explain it to them and the more times they hear it, they have that opportunity to learn it because I want them to actually know it, review it, look at it when they receive it. Don't just assume the bank is making all of those payments, they should still be checking their statement every month. Yes, and I think it's important too that if there's something that happens after transaction, we're here to serve. Absolutely, reach Call back us. out to us. Just talk to us because we've probably been down that path. You know, I use this this analogy all the time. It's like the number of at-bats, right? So the example that I've given in a previous podcast is that what's the difference between somebody that is a professional baseball player that hits the ball two out of ten times versus three out of ten times? A million dollars a year you know and the number of at bats you have the more activity that you have the number of experiences you have gives you real wisdom and kind of saying okay I've been down this path this is how it was handled but the nice thing is you have other colleagues that have combined over 150 years of experience that you can lean on yes that you can say hey this is something I've not seen before have you you know, how did you deal with this? What was the the outcome of your situation? And that's actually the, the primary reason why I wanted to build this bod- podcast series was to really to educate people. Yes. Give them the leg up before they actually go through this process. If some mm-hmm. of them are through in, doing it now and, and are learning as they go, uh, that's great. But if you can learn some of the stuff beforehand, better, much better. It, isn't it better if we can just share Absolutely. information with each other? Absolutely. Like even within my office, we mm. have such great camaraderie, camaraderie yeah. with all of the other agents because none of this is inventing the wheel. No. Somebody else already has done it before. Yes. And I'm only where I'm at because other people have helped me get here. None of us do this alone. We don't make it through alone. And I want to help people. I love it when my clients call me back with more questions it's great to hear from them to catch up with them and to help them sure you know I want to be a resource for them in the future after the closing it's not just oh here's your keys and see you later you know I want to be a resource for them so I welcome them contacting me with any questions or concerns or issues or uh, anything that they have you know it's kind of interesting you kind of brought up that talking with your clients again. If you run into somebody and you keep in contact with your past clients somehow, whether it be an email, a newsletter, a card, or just seeing them in public, um, you become top of mind again for them. Yes. Right? And when you become top of mind, maybe they're a little incognito trying to find out answers for their cousin, you know, to see if you're they're ready to buy a house. And then I'm going to call Diana and then I'm going to call Alan or whomever, you know, to get their loan ready to go if they need financing. And that's always a really cool thing in my mind because, you know, we're a small community, but we're a community that really like steel start sharpen steel we're yes. helping each other to become better at our craft but helping people really to be um, comfortable with the process and getting it completed because there's nothing better I think than than getting those keys and knowing that you're a homeowner well don't we all like to feel connected yeah so it, it's fun to work with somebody that you already have a, at least even a small element of trust because some trusted friend or family member of theirs referred them to you and so you're oh yeah I remember helping them and their family and I'm excited to help another friend or family member and and it's you're already starting off on the right foot rather than you know somebody you know questioning everything and you know not that I'm not willing to gain a stranger's trust I am but it's just nicer it is much much nicer so here's a topic that I think I hear a lot okay um, what's the difference between going with you and finding a house than searching online at like Zillow or Trulia or Redfin or whatever website? What's the difference 
What? Oh gosh. Okay. <laughs> I cannot. Tell Should this you. be another whole podcast? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, the internet is a beautiful thing, but it's also you have to take some things with a grain of salt. Sure. Because just because there's a lot of information out there, it has to be applied correctly. And so, yes, you can search on the internet for a lot of properties and information, and I can't tell you how many times, Alan, I have had a client call me. I am in love with this house. I have to look at it right now. I think I even know I want to write an offer on it. When I need to be in that house 10 minutes ago. No, okay, no problem, no problem. And they are so excited about this house and then they go and look at it and they're like oh those pictures made that house look so much better than it really is and i'm like yeah it's not the first time this happened so you know it happens a lot you know the those outside websites provide pictures provide information but when you are working specifically with an agent who has access to the local mls they have the most up-to-date information available on the available active listings. And that is going to be the most real-time information of the real-time available properties. Which I think is huge because if a prospective buyer is looking at an internet source that's not updated regularly enough, yes. it does take some manual inputs to take a house from listed to pending. And then there needs to be another step to sold, right? Yes. So if that data is not up to date, you could be getting really excited about something that doesn't even exist. Or Correct. it has no opportunity to really even be looked at. Correct. Because in my mind, those sites do one thing very, very well. And that is attract eyeballs and get people to call. Yes. So that's the purpose of that. Exactly. Its its whole purpose is gathering leads. But you're likely going to work with somebody that you don't know. They may be somebody that is local, but they're really advertising on that site trying to get your eyeballs. Correct. So it's 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 a great source for some information, but I highly 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 recommend working with a buyer's agent that will be looking out in real time and have data access that they can send you as it becomes available. Correct. So um, tell us what that looks like. So after you've gone through the whole loan process, gone through your meet and greet, and you've given them just kind of the, the keys to do what they need to do, what are you setting them up on in order to get information about potential things that are out there? So to get um, started, what I will do is I will give the client a direct access to my MLS access. Mm -hmm. So I will set up search criteria based on what we've talked about in terms of their needs and wants. And I keep the criteria um, honed in but a little bit loose because sometimes there's something on the edges that might still work so for them. So give an example of criteria. What are, what are functions that you can save for? Okay, criteria can be as specific as bedroom size, okay. lot size, square footage size, location, school districts. Um, you can single story, two story, roof type. Um, wow, I didn't even know they got that specific. Yes, there are some very specific criteria you can put in. Pool, no pool, whether the home's in an HOA, a homeowner's association mm -hmm. or not, a variety of things. But you also have to remember the information is only as good as what's input. Very good point. So there is sometimes minor errors in inputting as well. You know, human beings, they make mistakes in entering the data. So I send those particular links because people today like to be interactive in their search, okay? And they like to look through the pictures. They like to look at the maps and the listings and such. Because if a client came to me today and I never provided them with any available listings and I only chose listings and took them to them, they, they wouldn't like that. They like to look at some choices sure. and say, I would like to see this one or this one or this one. And based on that, 
I'm also calculating all this data in my head from looking at all these different houses and hearing what they're telling me, but also looking at their cues when we're walking through a house. Yes, body language, right? Listening to these little details, um, taking into consideration their lifestyle and such, and all that stuff is going in my head, and I'm thinking, hmm, maybe they're saying this, but they really mean this, so let me throw in some different properties that might fit their criteria as well. Um, in because the ultimate goal is to find a home that's going to work for them and I kind of like to equate it to putting on a pair of shoes when you put on a pair of shoes you either know instantly oh no these ain't gonna work or these feel great and when people go into a home they know when it feels right sure so really the home sells itself I don't sell the home but I help them through that process and I help them find the home because there's more to the process than just finding the home as well. It's writing the offer, negotiating the offer, getting the offer accepted, assisting with all the inspections and contingencies, hedging things off at the pass, walking them through some of the challenges, making it through the hiccups, then also making it to closing and the keys. Absolutely. One thing you said was kind of important to me. We, we talked about making the offer. Yes. I know you've done this before because I've heard some of the dialogue. Because um, you'll put me on speakerphone while you're with the client and actually ask some questions, which I'm totally fine with because it's easier to have everybody that's going to make decisions there. And open communication with a team. It's, it's absolutely right. And here's the thing that I, that I like about what you do is you're actually looking at market data to make sure that your offer is competitive as well. Correct. Because I don't think it's to anybody's benefit to waste time making an offer that doesn't make sense based off of that particular property's merits or the likelihood of how um, competitive that price point was and how it was listed in relation to current market, its amenities. You know, those are the types of things because if a buyer doesn't know this, they just don't know it. Correct. So they rely upon what you know, right? Correct. And I want the buyer to get the best deal. Sure. I'm representing the buyer, yeah, okay? I'm absolutely. not representing the seller. Although I have a duty of honest and fair dealing and good faith to both absolutely. parties in the transaction. Absolutely. But on the same hand, in the grand scheme of things, this is going to be your home where you live in it and you come home from work every day. You're spending time on your days off. You're having birthday parties. You're making memories. You're, do, you know, maybe you're bringing a baby home. There's all kinds of things that you're doing in your home, okay? And if you know, maybe a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars, albeit that's not small change, but in the grand scheme of things, you don't want to lose a home over that either. Exactly. I've had actually borrowers come in and say. You know, I found out that the house sold for two thousand more than we made the offer for, and it broke our hearts because we were willing to pay two thousand more. But see that that all has to do with communication. It does, but also it has to do with how the offer is written. Correct. And it also has to do with the lender as well, because when you are in a multiple offer situation, and the listing agent is looking at all these offers on the table. And if the agent doesn't even write the offer up correctly in the first place, what message does that send to the listing agent? Because the listing agent's goal is a smooth, successful closing for their seller. Absolutely. And if they're thinking, how am I going to communicate with this agent? What's this difficulty going to be? And so your reputation precedes you. So when you have a clean written contract and you have successful closings because you're doing all the necessary steps up front and you have a pre-approval letter from a lender with an impeccable reputation as well that has an extremely high closing ratio that you don't issue pre-qualification letters that aren't valid then you have a really strong chance I've been in situations where we weren't the highest offer but we were the best offer because the listing agent knew we had the best opportunity of closing with this particular dynamic, with the way the offer was written up, with the way the borrower was 
qualified with the lender who was doing the loan. So although the money is important, it, the seller is. isn't going to leave a bunch of money no, on the table, no. but sometimes highest isn't always the best. Yeah, and I, I appreciate that kind of feedback because I have had agents actually that have told me that they accepted the offer because of your high close ratio or reputation of what you guys do and how you conduct business. And I take pride in that. We work very hard to have as high pull through rate as possible. Absolutely. But I've also had to tell people no. You yes. know, and, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. uh, they're not always ready. I mean, but we've had situations together where, you know, somebody had to cancel a transaction because their spouse died. Yes, very I mean, sad. It's, it's, it, it's emotional. I remember exactly where I was at when that call came in from you. Yes. And uh, I'll never forget it. But you know what? She came right back to us, even though when she, she was ready. Yes. When she was ready, um, the builder had their own preferred lender, but she said, "No, I'm sticking with Alan, and yes. I'm going to close." And you know, that to me was like heartwarming. But more importantly, that I just told me, "Hey, we do the best we can for every client, and we really appreciate that." Um, We've been talking almost an hour. Can you believe that? It goes so fast. It does. It's a lot of information. Yeah, and I, I really um, just want to ask you, are there any closing things you want to talk about or important for buyers to know or anything we didn't discuss? In closing, I would say uh, there's a lot of things we Oh, yeah, discuss. yeah. We'll probably do a couple other podcasts. So, But in closing, I would encourage any buyer who is in the market to first sit down with a lender. Know your numbers. Be qualified for first because that is absolutely the first step in the process because buying home is a process and you don't get to change the process it is set in the way that it's done and then secondly get with a agent and sit down let me ask this question how much do you charge for your services I forgot to ask that question <laughs> because I think that's a big question a lot it of buyers is, have and that's what I was gonna get to. okay well, go the for reason it. I was gonna get to this is buyers need to take advantage of working with an agent because guess what it doesn't cost them a dime one day it will when they sell <laughs> that is a cost that the seller takes on because when they list their home for sale that is a cost that's already been negotiated. So there isn't anything that's going to change for a buyer if they go with agent A or agent B or anything like that. The cost, it's already been set. Even if they go with new construction, they can have their own representation rather than working with the builder's agent, yeah. okay? And I think it's important to, to find an agent to partner with to sit down, go over your needs, your wants, your desires, invest that time with that person so that that person can work for you. Let that agent with the market knowledge and the time, let them do all that legwork for you while you're at work doing your job. And then when you're off and you can meet with that agent and look at houses and do things, you are being most productive with your time. Absolutely. And of course, my hope would be that agent would be me. <laughs> but, you know, there are a lot of great agents in town. There are. A lot of great agents. And trust in the professional that you're working with. And if it's not going how you think it should, communicate with that agent. Sometimes everybody isn't the right fit. Um, but open communication. When you have concerns, when you have questions, ask them. Yeah. And if you don't feel like you're getting the straightforward answer, let them know. Yeah, it it's intimidating. It's it is intimidating, especially so. if you're entering a field or an arena that you're not used to. And I always encourage my clients, and I and I'll be very direct about this. I say, if this does not make sense to you to work with me, that's okay. Mm -hmm. Because I would rather have somebody that's engaged and committed for me to help them than for them to constantly be shopping that experience trying to get the best terms of everything like any other commodity out there um, as far as things you can purchase interest rates can fluctuate and change and I will not be the cheapest all the time in every product mix but the thing that I bring to the table I believe is value value in the relationship mm -hmm. value in the education value in the mentorship and counseling mm -hmm. 
and valuing closing. Yes, and on time. Yes, on time too. So that makes a huge difference. And I think that's the marker of quality representation, whether it be for a loan or for a real estate professional like yourself. It's really having their best interests at hand but then looking towards the end result, a successful closing of that transaction. So, Well, I've seen your fees. Yes. And they're extremely reasonable. I've personally used you when Mm -hmm. I purchased my own home. And I look at it this way. Buying a home is a very, very big step. And for some people, it's the biggest purchase they'll ever make. And you don't want to use necessarily the cheapest person out there. You know, going to a doctor or, you know, something major like that. You don't want the cheapest thing. You want the person that you're most comfortable with, that's providing you the best product for you and giving you all the information to make the best informed decision for you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I like to uh, bring this point up and I've done it in previous podcasts, but, you know, they say the definition of mastery by, um, well, it's probably not from him, but Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called Blink. And he says that someone that masters their craft has had over 10,000 hours of consistent experience Uh in something. So I consider you a buyer's agent master. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, Diana, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I'm sure that the listeners appreciate it. Um, If they have questions, how can they reach you? If anyone has questions, you can reach me by calling me on my cell phone at area code 661-343-7266. Or you can contact me by email at Diana, D-I-A-N-A, at Marvin L. Bush, that's M-A-R-V-I-N-L-B-U-S-H dot com. Perfect. Thank you so much again, and I appreciate your time. And if there's any questions you guys have, please leave them in feedback or comment section and be happy to get some information back to you.